Welcome to Leaders of Analytics. Leaders of Analytics is about data-driven decision-making, modern business leadership, and the use of data and artificial intelligence in business and society. Each episode investigates the strategies, tools, techniques, and leadership required to succeed in a world increasingly driven by data and analytics. The show's guests share their stories and experiences in a way that helps you understand the big concepts and small details that make all the difference in today's world of business. I am your host, Jonas Christensen, and I hope you enjoy listening to this episode of Leaders of Analytics. Many large organizations have the data to pull off sophisticated marketing strategies, but only if they avoid the common pitfalls that limit their potential. In this episode, I interview Tejas Manoha on the huge and typically unexploited potential for data-driven marketing and personalization. Tejas is co-founder and co-CEO of HighTouch. HighTouch is a reverse ETL platform that helps organizations sync their data warehouses with business-facing tools and technology. Their products are used by big-name corporations like Warner Music, Chime, Spotify, NBA, PetSmart, and more. In this wide-ranging conversation, Tejas and I discuss what a reverse ETL platform is and why we need it, why Tejas is bullish on turning data warehouses into marketing engines, the key steps marketers should take to implement personalization effectively using existing company data and platforms, the pitfalls and common mistakes businesses make in data-driven personalization and how to avoid these and much more. Let's get to it. Here's Tejas. Tejas Manaha, welcome to Leaders of Analytics. I am really excited to have you on the show today. Thank you for having me on the show, Jonas. I'm really excited to be on it as well. And we do have an interesting episode ahead of us because you have founded quite an interesting tech company. And I don't want to talk about it. I want to hear you talk about it. So could you start us off and just tell us about yourself and what you do? Yeah, for sure. So my name is Tejas. I'm the founder and co-founder and co-CEO of a company called HighTouch. For those of you who don't know HighTouch, which makes sense, we're growing quickly, but we're still a startup. We are the leader in something we call data activation. So everyone knows about dumping data in your data warehouse, doing ETL, taking that data warehouse and starting to use it for things like business intelligence or answering questions or reporting. That's pretty much the state of the art across companies. And it's such a big market that over the last few years, Snowflake has become one of the biggest software IPOs and, and biggest technology companies in the world. Um, and that's obviously just a tiny sliver of the data warehousing market. So everyone knows about data warehousing, but most people use data warehousing for data analytics, business intelligence, and reporting. Our view at HighTouch is that there's a whole new opportunity to actually activate all that data that's in your data warehouse 
and to start using it to power operational processes across your whole business. I mean, we came up with a technology called reverse ETL that allows you to do that. So ETL is putting data in the warehouse from Salesforce and your database and all these different systems where things are happening. Reverse ETL is taking that data from your warehouse and bringing it to you back to those systems of action and engagement and the systems that your business teams are living in day in and day out. So advertising platforms, CRM, support tools, marketing, finance tools, and allowing you to automate that data and use it to power operations like sending personalized emails to your customer, having salespeople call the right customer at the right time based on digital signals, having finance people not sit around and have to do things in spreadsheets and go through manual bookkeeping processes, but just to just automate that all off the data warehouse. I mean, it's just this really seamless, easy to use technology where you can take data from your warehouse and start using it across all your business tools. So really excited to be on the show today, Jonas. Great. And you know what? I have really been in love with this term, activating your data lately, because I feel like it's it's so powerful. We have spent the last decade collecting data, talk about big data. We talk about cloud uh, warehousing and we, we all got to collect this data, but how much of it is actually used? And that is often a challenge in a business, especially with the non-technical audience, because you do have this challenge of someone needing to be able to, to code SQL or, or some other language, even just to start querying that data. And I, I feel like you're really talking about getting over that hurdle, but we'll, we'll dig in, into that throughout the show. And let's peel back the onion here. So you talk about reverse ETL. Can you explain that to us in layman's terms so that people get really excited by this? Yeah, 100%. So the term itself, reverse ETL, it's kind of a silly term, but believe it or not, it's sort of become the industry standard for this type of thing. You know, three years ago, I was arguing with my co-founders about whether we should go with this term that customers would just come up with organically and naturally during calls. Like, is this the reverse of ETL or something like that? And I'm glad we did because it's, it's really catchy, but really what it means is it's simple. ETL is putting data in your warehouse from different systems, reverse ETL is taking the data and insights that are in your warehouse that you're probably using in tools like Looker, Tableau, Power BI, and bring those back to the systems that your business teams are using. The most common use case of reverse ETL across all types of companies, small, medium, and you know some of the largest enterprises in the world, we work with Warner and NBA and Blizzard Activision and PetSmart. Most common use case I see across the market is taking data from your warehouse about your customers, like a lifetime value or what list of my customers are the highest value or which ones have an opportunity to be sold something or might buy something in the future. And just piping that information or that list of customers, that audience into a marketing tool, like Salesforce Marketing Cloud or Adobe or Braze or an advertising tool like Facebook or Google, and running targeted campaigns against those customers. That's like the utmost, most common use case I see for reverse CTL and this idea of data activation. But if you think about it, every aspect of your business has areas where there's business teams living in tools, trying to upload CSVs to those tools with your custom data, flipping between tabs, and it can really be streamlined if you just take data from the warehouse and start using it as a source of truth across all those systems. So marketing is really common, but every single business team around a company has use cases to use data better. And, and that's really the power of reverse ETL. So I think the idea of using some of these, perhaps the 
derived variables or analytical outputs like customer lifetime value or some sort of segmentation or score score of some sort, the propensity to do this, that, and the other. To use that in marketing is, is not a new idea, but you're talking right. about here the means of which we, we transport that information into those systems, and typically they're not that easily connected. So what does high-touch specifically do underneath to, to fix that problem? Fantastic question. You're right. The idea of using data for your marketing is an old one, right? The concept of database marketing has actually been around in a digital world for I think about 15 to 20 years now. I think the company Exact Target, which is now Salesforce Marketing Cloud, actually founded that term. They were like, with emails, we're sending it to everyone, but with print mail, we send different things to different people. We need database marketing. So super interesting story. What do we do that's different? Why is high touch so novel? And why are all these enterprises starting to use reverse ETL? Well, the reality is, while everyone needs to use data for their marketing and in their marketing campaigns, the process to do so is not easy. At a lot of companies we speak to, marketers know they want to you know, target customers with a high lifetime value, or they want to you know, find customers who are somewhere up in the funnel that have shown some intent to go purchase the product, but you know they want to run ads on just those customers or put more of the budget towards those customers instead of distributing it equally. You know, they have all these ideas for personalization, for better targeting, for activating their data better, but to actually do so is pretty, it's pretty damn hard to be completely honest. Like a lot of them can't write SQL, so they can't pull this information out of the data warehouse themselves. Even if they can write SQL, they can't build scripts to take data from your warehouse, your database, your different APIs and load them into marketing platforms. So, you know, to use all those fancy features in their marketing platforms that they buy for tons of money, they actually need really good data connectivity. And that's where activation comes in. So high touch is a product. We're a really simple product. The basic level is just log in, connect your data warehouse, like Snowflake, BigQuery, Databricks, write a SQL query, like, hey, select the users from the stable, and then just say how you want that to look in a system like Salesforce, Braze, Facebook ads, et cetera. So I want to load a user list into the system. I want to load some custom fields into the system. Here's how to match the users between the systems. All of it's visual, point and click. Only technical skill set you might need is a SQL query to get started. And then boom, you have a live sync of data from your warehouse into those systems where there's live data from the systems as if it's Salesforce is running on top of your Snowflake. Like that's kind of, that's the end result of using reverse ETL. And you can just start activating all that data freely in the capabilities provided by your tool, whether that's advertising, marketing, sales, customer service, finance, logistics, you name it. And that's our core product. But on top, we've built different apps for different business teams around the company to be able to activate their data. So one of them is called our customer studio app which basically says marketers, you don't need to know SQL to be able to activate data from the warehouse. If data people at your company set up a view that allows you to say, here's the important data in my warehouse, all using high touch, then marketers can come in, build their own audiences and start activating different channels and run experiments, maybe tests and all sorts of stuff, all sorts of data things without knowing SQL. And that's just one of the few products that, that we've released at high touch to help companies get their data in the warehouse in order and activate it around the business. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I'm sitting here thinking about all the times in my career where I've had to help marketing teams get what actually seems like a really basic process set up around just porting some data like that across. And typically it involves 
getting some sort of uh, engineer of some sort from IT as well involved to actually link up systems or set up an API for something or what have you. And uh, before you know it, you're in the PI backlog and you have to wait to the next sprint and or the next uh, planning event. And therefore, it's all of a sudden six, 12 months down the track if you even get prioritized. And that doesn't work when you want to experiment day by day by day by day sometimes right? with new inputs. So I can see the power of this. But Tejas, you, some listeners might be sitting here going, well, I have a customer data platform and it already does this stuff and we've piped everything in. How is this different and how is this better than that? Great question, Jonas. So I know a thing or two about customer data platforms. Uh, before founding HighTouch, it's actually uh, the, the 10th engineer, one of the first 10 engineers and product people at Segment. So the leading company in the whole CDP customer data platform space was there before the term even got invented and stayed until about a year before their $3.5 billion acquisition by, by Twilio. So obviously the CDP space is quite big. It's a, it's a big market, lots of players. It's the elephant in the room. When marketers think about, hey, I need to activate my data. I need to do personalization. They think, oh, snap, I should go buy a CDP to solve all my, all my marketing data problems. And then I'm going to be able to build audiences and journeys and everything's going to be flying colors. What we find in practice is that might be true for smaller companies like a Shopify store or a 200-person startup. But when you start getting into larger, more complicated enterprises, or it doesn't even have to be the largest enterprise in the world, just companies that have made a large investment in data warehousing and a data warehouse, BI, et cetera, stack, then a CDP can be kind of a redundant and overcomplicated initiative. So a CDP is actually a platform that sits separate from your whole data stack, your company. You have to put all the data into the CDP collect it from your websites and mobile apps and checkout aisles all in the CDP way of here's what a user looks like. Here's what a cart looks like. Here's what checking out looks like, et cetera. And it's a bunch of user traits and events. And then the CDP says, now you can do audience building and forwarding the data to all the different tools. And it's really just like two things that bite companies. One, it's a lot of work. I mean, you might have data sitting in all these databases and BI tools today. And you might just want to activate that. Right? You might just want to do some simple transformations, maybe some identity stitching on that data and just start activating in downstream tools right away. High touch is the fastest way to do that with reverse ETL. And with the CDP, you have the first set up the CDP, which can be a six to 12 month process from an engineering standpoint at a large company where you have to change the way you're tracking data everywhere. The other thing is that CDPs are a bit rigid compared to data warehouse. So CDPs are super cool. They have an opinion on how your customer data should look. And if you fit that format, they can give you some pretty powerful out-of-the-box functionality. The reality is that it's pretty hard to get all your data into some sort of standard CDP format, whether it's segment or treasury data, TLEM or particle, Salesforce, any of the CDP solutions. Business after a certain scale are unique and there's unique nuances to your business, whether you're a marketplace or an e-commerce or a gaming company or a newspaper or you, specifically your business, that make the business what it is. And that's why in a data warehouse, companies have different tables and views and columns and all sorts of things. So with HighTouch, we let companies embrace that. Uh, we let them access all the different types of data, and that allows for more rich data activation. My really clear example I like to, to provide is one of our customers, PetSmart. They're like the biggest retail 
company in the pet space in the US, a huge Fortune 500 company, and they had never been able to leverage their loyalty systems data for marketing personalization effectively with any marketing technology software they'd purchased in the past, you know, Salesforce, Unica, Adobe, you name it. Those are not necessarily their specific solutions, but, you know, solutions of that kind. And with high touch, what was really powerful is that we weren't limited to just like contacts or users and behavioral analytics events. We actually allowed marketers to come in and query data, like how many users are in households that have pets with birthdays coming up and let me go target them for the birthday campaign in Salesforce. So just being able to access all that data and not having an opinion of what your data should look like, just being able to use all the data in your warehouse as is, it's really powerful for marketers. And um, that's the reason we see companies flocking towards the you know, warehouse native approach versus traditional CDPs. I mean, and this term composable CDP is actually kind of taking up in the market as a challenger to the traditional approach. And what you're describing really is an organization that runs it in the old way, if I may call it that, the non-high touch way, is actually running two ETLs. It's running one for the enterprise data warehouse, and then it's running potentially another one for the customer data platform for different audiences as well. So the price data warehouse is probably more of an analytical audience and and the CDP ETL, if I may call it that, because it is effectively what it is, isn't it? It's actually for a, potentially a more non-technical audience, but a more, more specific use case. And that's just double handling really, isn't it? Yeah. And I would say you would, some people try to justify this multiple source of truth world where you have data flowing to CDP and data flowing into the warehouse and it's different data. You know, if you ask a CDP vendor why that is, they would say, well, the data for analytics can't be used for activation. It's different data. You need to collect it differently for marketing. The reality is though, marketers kind of live out of the data warehouse today, whether they know it or not. When I talk to a lot of marketing teams and they want to activate their data and move quickly and personalize super sharp, you know, marketing teams, oftentimes they don't you know, they don't really see the data warehouse as a big data source. But when you dig in for analytics, for reporting, they're using tools like Tableau or Power BI or Looker. And the source of that data is, you know, the data warehouse. So it's not really, I would say you're collecting two sets of data for two sets of use cases, but the audience is the same. When marketers do analytics, they use data warehouse platforms and they use BI tools. When they do activation today, they use CDPs. What Hyde is just saying is, no, you can use that treasure chest of data you have for analytics for activation as well and kill two birds with one stone while actually giving marketers a, a new level of power when it comes to data activation. Nice. So let's dig into this whole personalization bit a little bit. I'm interested in your point of view here because you have a lot of experience in doing the personalization execution work, but also dealing with the data behind it. So what are the key steps that marketers should take to implement a personalization strategy effectively using the data that they already have in-house? I love this question and I kind of hate this question at the same time. I think it's a great one, but there's also no real clear answer. So I'll, I'll respond a little bit differently if it's okay. So I think a lot of people are looking for, you know, as you mentioned, personalization, it's been one of the biggest buzzwords in, in MarTech and marketing and companies, digital companies for the longest time. 
People can't stop talking about it. And everyone seems to be looking for one software vendor you can purchase or one way, you know, one process you can follow. And now your company is personalized left and right. That's not the case. Any vendor who's telling you it is the case, like a Salesforce or an Adobe, they probably offer great software that's valuable, but that's not the case. I'll tell you that for sure. And the reason for that is that different type of personalization, different channels you want to personalize on, they all require different tools and uh, different levels of data maturity, frankly. And I think this idea that we need to go through a certain set of steps before we can do personalization is really what's causing companies and marketing teams to think that they need to buy a customer data platform before they can start doing personalization. They need to do this six to 12 month engineering project. They need to build a customer 360. They need to do all these things. To me, you know, these are all tools. And what matters is the use case. So I urge marketers and marketing technology teams and data teams to really first refine the use case. You want to personalize? What's that highest ROI campaign you want to run? Where are the people in your customer base from a segment perspective that you think, queries aside, SQL aside, if you were able to reach them with a certain message or certain hook or value prop, you could create a certain ROI out of it. Then you can start thinking, okay, what's the MVP from a data perspective and a technology perspective to achieve these use cases? So I think that's what I see the most fast moving, most successful kind of growth teams doing today. And I think that that idea from growth teams is now penetrating you know, marketing departments as a whole. And that's where I think people start finding that they don't need a CDP or they don't need a new email platform that has a cool UI. These are all great tools, but they probably just need to find the data that really matters about their customers and be able to activate it into whatever system they have that can send an email or run an ad today or, you know, populate this into the existing CRM they have for customer support reps or even a spreadsheet. Who cares? Kind of depends on your use case. And that's where I find that companies don't realize that they already have a lot of the data that they need to activate some of those preliminary use cases. And if they don't have the data, they can buy tools incrementally to solve those gaps in their organizations. For example, just yesterday, actually, so on when this is recorded, so July 19th, we released our personalization, sorry, we released our customer 360 toolkit, which is a new product at Hightouch that doesn't just activate data, but actually allows you to improve the data in your data warehouse. And what I mean by that is allows you to do things like identity resolution. So you can say I have these three tables that have information about my customers. Can you give me a table that combines the data from all three so that I can build segments off of it? And Hightouch actually has a product now that can help you do that. But I don't encourage all our customers to use this product. When a company asks me about personalization, I tell them, well, what's your use case? Let's see if you can do that by just doing reverse CTL today. And if then you need identity resolution or something like that for your next use case, then let's deploy that because the capability is right there. And it doesn't need a huge CDP and it can run directly on top of your existing data. So I really think there's no you know one-stop shop for personalization. It is truly a buzzword. Prefer not to use it myself. And what's really most important is for to get marketing teams, you know, marketing technologists, analytics leaders, and executives at companies to be thinking of where's the opportunity? Where do I think at a qualitative level that that exists in my customer base? And then use data to back back that up and act on it and kind of use technology along the way versus at, at the source of the solution. Yeah. So get the job done, test your data, 
learn from it rather than building big engineering projects that take a long time with the hope that something big pays off some months or years down the track once you're done. Exactly. Exactly. Now, Tejas, make this real for us. Could you give us an example here of where you've come in and you've you've built this sort of process for someone and where they got some really good results from it and maybe sort of step us through what you did, what they had before and what came out of it at the end? Yeah, 100% happy to do this. So picking on that PetSmart example again, I think it's a great one because I just got back from a Snowflake conference a couple of weeks ago in, in Vegas, like 20,000 people. And we did a big talk there with PetSmart's VP of marketing, Bradley, who's you know huge mentor to us here at, at HighTouch. He's given us a lot of good product feedback. We love partnering with their team and they're obviously a big company with, with big problems and opportunities. So specifically with regards to PetSmart, you know, they realized that there was an opportunity to drive more repeat purchases, which is, if you think about it, pretty much the golden metric for a retail company like PetSmart, that a lot of Americans who are near a PetSmart store or who are in you know an addressable region already know about the brand and are already a customer at some point if they own a pet to go buy pet food or something like that at PetSmart. So the biggest unlock they can drive for their business, like many retail brands that are of that level of, of market dominance, is to drive repeat purchases. And that's the fastest way to have ROI on the business. And their goal was how can these data they have about their existing customers drive more and more repeat purchases. And what they were really struggling with in the past was not being able to easily use all the vast amount of data they had about their customers on the marketing side. And previously, they were able to pull data in from various different sources. At the time of executing a campaign, they had tools like IBM Unica, where they are you know, more analysts or engineering type people could orchestrate some pretty complex campaigns. They had analysts that could write seek queries to do, you know, find complex segments and export them. But they just continuously ran into this problem where the time from idea to execution to the, the whole feedback loop, seeing results, is way too slow. It's just way too slow for the marketing team to effectively iterate. Just fast forward a bit now with high touch, I think every day they're trying literally new campaign ideas. And that just wasn't possible before when every campaign's blocked on a two-week sprint and a 24-hour deployment time with all that high data volume that they had. I mean, it can only be executed in a certain fashion. So when HighTouch came in there, the company had put a lot of data inside of Snowflake and uh, Databricks and different data warehousing technologies over the previous years. And basically, we came in and said, hey, we can start driving a lot more value from that data. It wasn't being used by the marketing team day in and day out. They were more operating in spreadsheets, different BI systems, et cetera, before HighTouch. But with a little bit of massaging, which we also helped with, with some of our, our products and they're a great data team. Uh, we got the data in shape from a marketing perspective over about a, a course of a couple of weeks and started to deploy the first use cases via HighTouch. And their marketers were actually able to now start experimenting themselves. So instead of sending a, you know, having an idea and sending in a ticket, where a week later you you figure out how large that audience is and and you know how it can be activated and then starting to try to activate it and see what the results are that whole process becomes a day or hours just to have marketers just be able to explore that data in real time with a UI that again sits directly on top of all the data in these source systems like Snowflake and Databricks and BigQuery and isn't storing a copy at all 
right? So it's sitting directly on there. So there's no engineering workload to get it into something like high touch. And yeah, I mean, if you take a look online at some of the results Bradley's shown, they actually are able to use these campaigns like, hey, your your pet's birthday is coming up. Do you want to buy a gift for your pet? Sounds a bit ridiculous. I am not a pet owner, but it's truly a thing here in America. Or, hey, you know, you haven't bought food in a while. Do you want to you buy some more pet food? Because, you know, pets need food, they need repeated purchases, et cetera, have actually been able to show a pretty high degree of, of incrementality and lift as compared to as compared to previously when they weren't able to to run these types of really personalized campaigns using all the the data that they have as a company from from loyalty to purchases and so on. So yeah, super, super excited to be working with them. And I think it's a great example for the power of using all the data in your warehouse quickly, but also being able to leverage all the data instead of just a subset of data or subset of the customer view. They just people love their pets like they love their kids. So they will That's get cele- celebrated everywhere, I'm sure. You're actually reminding me of a time when I worked in uh, energy, so utilities, sort of, you know, your home energy, electricity, and so on. Yeah, 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 of course. And we were looking for high usage segments, and we had a tool where we had lots of sort of research data on on different client segments, different customer segments, sort of an omnibus survey that asked them about everything and we found a strong correlation between high users of electricity and people who said yes to the question of my pet is a fussy eater. And you go, well, how, why is, why is that interesting? Well, our theory at least was when people think their pet is a fussy eater, it's probably because they're spoiling that pet. And they also tended to run the aircon or the heating during summer or winter during the day, even when they were out. Hilarious. The dog or cat shouldn't have it uh, have it cold too hot or too cold. So that's definitely a thing. And you can see how that is a really powerful use case because they have this market that they already know about. They're already interested buyers of products that the company sells, in this case, pet products, and they already will take care of their pet. But you just got to be able to target them and you got to do it quickly and iterate. And you, you're reminding me really of a, a time here in my career where I managed an analytical function where part of our responsibility was to help a marketing team actually execute their marketing campaigns. And the biggest problem we had was because we had to help them actually execute their campaigns, we had to go and query the data warehouse, then create the sample for the campaign, then send that across to the CDP or equivalent that we had, then the campaign gets executed. And that took some weeks because we had a backlog in our team because we also had other requests from other areas in the business. And then it had to be ported and all that stuff takes time. And it was manual effort, costly in that sense. But also we were just learning too slowly. We were simply not iterating enough and learning fast enough what these campaigns could do. Because, I mean, if you can execute 10 campaigns in the time that it takes to execute one campaign, you're in essence learning what works and what doesn't 10 times faster. Uh, that's kind of the, I think the hidden hidden gem in all this is just, you can just do more stuff much quicker. Yeah, Ness, I'm totally on the same page as you. Something I've realized is as it becomes easier for, for different roles in a business to get their hands on data, explore it, see how many customers match this criteria, that criteria, test something, the demands for data in an organization actually go up. So previously people who you know weren't interested or didn't even have ideas to do these types of experiments 
now have more ideas, have more questions, have more activations that they need to run through platforms like Hightouch or their marketing channels or anything. And the importance of self-servability goes up over time. It's kind of interesting. I think there's a you know cyclical pattern of getting your hands on data, or there's an, like there's something addictive about it or contagious about it, where organizations felt there were limited use cases at the time when the technology was really hard to use. But as the technology becomes easier to use, the use frequency and the desire actually goes up. I think it's it's similar to having maps on your cell phone. Now you use it every single second of the day versus having a, a print map and and maybe going to more of the places you know or, or navigating by eyesight and, and hearsay. So, Contagious, there will be some listeners here that are thinking, oh, but hang on, I don't want to give marketing all the data that they can just do whatever they want with because they're not as data-driven as we are because we're the analytics team or the data engineers or what have you. And we know about this data. We know how to clean it. We know how to find fault in it. We know how to do all those things. I think that's a nicer problem to have that marketing need to learn a bit more perhaps about the intricacies of your data than you not being able to use it at all in the organization for those purposes. And have you come across that sort of scenario where I suppose there's a bit of sort of a little bit of a a pushback from parts of the organization to just open up the data for everyone and sort of, you're sort of democratizing the access a little bit. A hundred percent. And frankly, I don't blame them. Any vendor that wants to help with anything related to data, not just vendor, any company or any person who wants to to start democratizing data at an enterprise organization, especially a global one, needs to be thinking about governance, frankly. Governance and controls around that data is just necessary. Whether technical people have their hands on the data or non-technical people have their hands on the data, the more people that have their hands on the data, the more these policies are unfortunately important, <laughs> but but very, very important. And we've built a lot of capabilities in our platform to support those kinds of workflows, these organizations to do things like, hey, we'll make it really, really easy to activate your data. But we'll also make it really, really easy for your data team and your privacy team to set up policies within Hightouch that affect how the data can be activated. For example, this data point cannot go to these tools, or these data points can only be used for advertising, not one-to-one email targeting, where you're reaching out to a specific consumer, and or these rules apply to this country filter of data or this audience of data, but don't apply to another. And honestly, no one likes working on these types of features, but these are the types of features that are necessary for data to be used freely in an organization and for you not have to go to a privacy team or a compliance team or to think a hundred times before you can do anything. Like if you really want to be able to activate data freely in an organization, then your your platform that does the activation needs to have some sophistication around things like this, frankly. I mean, that's something we've kind of just like built from the, the beginning. The other thing I would say is just the, the flexibility of the platform really allows for that. For example, our audience builder, you can just, you know, you just with a simple SQL query, you can change the, the data that's available to query for the marketers. Or you can use our point and click to say, these columns should not be previewable, or these columns should not be syncable to different destinations. And it's just like really, really easy because you're not changing the data, you're ETLing into our platform, we're tracking it a different way. It's just all little buttons and SQL queries that you can modify on top of your data warehouse that change how the marketers are activating data across the company. So yeah, 100%, I've seen this kind of governance concerns come up and I only expect them to come up more and more and more 
as the privacy compliance and legal landscape becomes more complicated across you know, all regions of the world at this point. It started with GDPR, but we're seeing it in pretty much every state in America. And we operate in other countries like India and Japan and Korea and Australia that have their own set of policies as well. Yeah, the whole regulation area in this space is just growing and so it should. And it's a good thing. Now, Tejas, you're starting to touch a little bit here on where I want to go next, because we've kind of said, okay, there's lots of opportunity and it's relatively easy to activate your data if you think a little bit differently about it and don't try to create kind of two ETLs, but you, you use what you already have and, and build some pipes. That all sounds great, but there's obviously lots of hurdles to overcome underneath. I'm interested in what does it take for an organization to actually have success with this stuff? So talk us through the tech stacks, the culture and collaboration, measurement frameworks, value drivers, et cetera, that, that have to be kind of set up in the organization, but also how then necessarily teams need to collaborate around a solution like high touches. It's a really good question. Thanks for asking it. I think governance and privacy and compliance, it's super, super important, but it's just one aspect of it. And it's not a it's not an area where businesses can really differentiate. They can be compliant or they cannot be compliant. It's really big downsides for not being compliant. But when you think about the culture at a company, it's actually extremely important to um, get that right. And then again, there's no there's no one way to do this, but I'll give a perspective to enable different business teams, whether it's marketing or sales, et cetera, to really be data-driven. And one thing I'll say off the bat is like any data project, any activation product and any personalization project or you know, segmentation, et cetera, can't happen without some level of collaboration between uh, data and marketing teams or business and data teams. It just, it just can't be effective without that. Like there's so many platforms out there, especially in the CDP space that are saying stuff like, Hey, if you buy this customer data platform, your marketing team now never has to interact with engineers again and never has to talk to IT people and can use data freely. Doesn't happen, right? Like if you look at the stats, Gartner published a report that says 60% of companies in the enterprise that bought a CDP aren't actually seeing the value from it. Like their marketing teams are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars or, or millions of dollars on these solutions, aren't seeing the value from it. And why? It's because Marketers can't use like a CDP solution alone. It needs to be set up by someone technical. And that setup process is really, really lengthy. With Hightouch, there's still some level of setup process. I'll be transparent about it. You have to have a data person who can connect the warehouse and write some initial SQL queries or, or point to different tables that have the data you need, have that base foundation of data that's specific to your company and that you need. And the difference is that while there is a setup process, that process is a lot faster because it uses your existing investments and it can be done without actually coding and engineering skills and changing your website. It can just be done using the data you have in your data warehouse. But regardless of what technical solution is used across the company, the first thing I like to really align teams on, whether I'm talking to a technical team or whether I'm talking to a business team for that matter, is that we need to get both stakeholders in the room and we need to have kind of some way to collaborate and work on these problems together. Otherwise, it's going to stall out at one step of the process or another. And I've kind of been through this ringer enough times to, to say that confidently, frankly. It's just about what stage it fails at, not whether it fails. The next thing I'll say is that the platforms you use need to have a good framework to allow that collaboration. So again, the point that you mentioned, Jonas, earlier, having two separate systems, you know, marketing wants all their data in this system, a CDP, and data wants to do all their analytics in another system, a data warehouse. 
this can work. But from an efficiency standpoint and an effectiveness standpoint, it doesn't work a lot of times because you're asking the tech teams to support you in a totally different workflow than the rest of your job. You're going to have this continuous contention of why do I have different data in two different places and why do they have data in that system and not here? And why does it look different? And why do I have this problem and that problem? If you can have, if you can pick a process and a way of doing things at your company that really promotes collaboration between technical and non-technical teams, then your problem's not going to be solved. You still have to collaborate, but it's going to be a lot easier to have that collaboration. And I think that's something we've really excelled at at High Touch from the way we built our product, but the way we've also structured our customer success and engagements and partnerships and education with our customers. Another thing I would say is really important is this idea of data literacy. So this is a huge one and could be an episode of its own, frankly, but high touch, we have functionality like an audience builder where marketers don't have to, you know, know SQL to be able to query data from the data warehouse and effectively activate it or reverse, you know, reverse ETL that data into various different marketing and advertising platforms. But the reality is that you still do need a certain level of data literacy and data understanding to use any sort of visual platform like high touch or even like a marketing tool that is allowing you to build segments, see how things are performing, et cetera. So this is yet another reason that I think it's critical to have some level of collaboration and communication between the technical teams that should be, you know, preparing this data and understanding it in and out and the business teams that know where the business needs to go and are, are, are talking to the customer every day and have, have ideas for what we can do to move the needle from a business metric perspective. Are those ideas tested or not? No, that's where the collaboration comes in. So I think data literacy is a really important point. There's no golden solution to it. Collaboration and communication is the root of it. But I see a lot of companies investing in things like an analytics office hours, a data office hours, maybe some regular education and onboarding and stuff like that with their business counterparts. And I think that's well worthwhile. Documentation is another thing that's well worthwhile as well. But I think liter- and, and, and you know products like Hightech enable that sort of documentation, but but really it's it's about getting those teams talking and and having practice. Otherwise, you know, you're gonna have your results interpreted the wrong way. And it's it's not because it's anyone's fault. It's not because the, the marketing user is not a data savvy person. It's just because different people prepare this data than the ones using it. And that's just a fundamental problem. So I think those are some of the aspects that I always think of to, to, to kind of summarize. It would be don't stray away from working with your peers or, or dependencies. Like, you know, marketing teams will, it, when they're solving any sort of data-related problem, whether it's attribution or analytics or activation, segmentation, they're going to have some level of dependency on a technical team. The question is, what does that dependency look like? They shouldn't be going to them every time they want to run a campaign or see how big an audience is. That's crazy. But they should be able to leverage the data that those teams are producing. They should be able to communicate with them and understand how that information is laid out. And then picking frameworks that allow this collaboration. So don't buy a, a tool for you know your, your marketing team that requires the right SQL. It doesn't have interfaces built for them. Makes no sense. And don't the marketing team, don't go buy a, a data platform. They expect to have all your data that sits separate from the source truth of the company. And then lastly, literacy, invest in literacy and and training and education on the data front continuously in your organizations. When you see people misinterpreting results, call it out, give them feedback, give them ideas, fix the training, just do this continuously to make sure you, you know, you up-level your organization in that way. There are a couple of subtle points you made there that I actually want to just pull on a bit because I think they're, they're pretty important, really. You mentioned here that organizations sometimes go and buy tools without having thought about the full end-to-end of how do we collaborate to get data into these tools. 
And it's really just a symptom of the underlying problem, which is that different teams with different skill sets don't tend to lean into each other's worlds enough. So the data teams don't lean into the marketing team's worlds enough to really understand what they're trying to do specifically and how it drives business outcomes. And your example there of a marketing team going and buying a customer data platform without thinking about, hang on, we actually now have to effectively run two different processes for housing data and and dealing with that from a privacy governance and just a technical effort point of view. It's real work. It's very real work and it's non-value creating work really at the end of the day. So you're sort of double handling. And the magic here is as usual that people work together to do this stuff and actually lean into each other as well. So I want to encourage all the marketers to listen out here to really invest in what does data and analytics teams do and just as much the other way, really understand what are the actual needs of the business of those marketing teams if you are working in an analytical role and you are helping provide this information. And then you you talked about data literacy, data governance, that sort of space. I've personally found that there can be some value in generally speaking about those things in broader terms, doing training with various teams, you know, lunch and learn sessions or sort of what is data literacy, here's how you think about it and all that. That's important foundational stuff. But nothing is more powerful and effective than when you actually have a project to work on. So I can see how something like a high-touch solution coming in and actually forcing the organization to to grapple with that conversation and deal with that conversation. Okay, now we do have to be data literate because we do have to work together and we do have to understand exactly how this data works and doesn't so that we can set up all these guardrails that you talked about, right? Which is what you bring. So you can set up guardrails around the data that feeds through. But to decide on those guardrails, to agree on those guardrails, everyone needs to be on the same page, essentially. 100% right. It's That's really powerful, really, at the end of the day. Right? Rather than being scared of it, how do you lean into it? That's kind of what I'm saying. How do you lean into actually having those conversations and using this as the vehicle for it? Yeah, that's exactly right. I think a lot of marketing teams uh, and I, I talk to, and I don't blame them, too. They're, they're like, how do I get around the compliance team, right? And how do I... How do I run these campaigns faster without having to go to them each time? And a lot of compliance teams are like, oh my God, you know, if, if someone on the marketing team sends a campaign to someone they're not allowed to, that could cost me tens of million dollars or a percentage of my revenue with regulations like GDPR. And then, you know, there's so much dysfunction at some of these enterprise companies. And again, I don't blame them. It's just this, this, this tension that's created just, just organically where two different people have two different incentives that leads to kind of nothingness and and a total waste of time. And and as a founder and startup executive, nothing annoys me more than to see that. And I think the only way to, the only way to, to, to really address that kind of dysfunction, whether it's between compliance and the business or whether it's between technical and non-technical or whether it's between sales and marketing in a B2B company that need to come together or, or product and engineering, right? It, it, it's it's something I've seen in in all, in all different roles over my career and interaction with customers. The only way to do that is exactly what you said, Jonas, which is to lean into it and find the right systems and incentives that just allow you to run, have those rules for compliance just defined. So marketing can be operating freely in a system that allows self-service data access and activation 
without having to go to the teams each time and compliance doesn't have to worry about it. And the same is true for non-technical and business collaboration. The same is true for every, every aspect of a company. You know, the more I think about it, I feel like we need to, we need to make a term for this or some sort of concept uh, that more people really bring to top of mind in terms of how they run organizations. Yeah. Interesting. Well, there's your next challenge. You've come up with the reverse ETL. How, how can you come up with a cool name for this one? <laughs> we'll try to avoid the word ETL, ETL for this one, I think. <laughs> yeah. I think ETL and also the term data literacy. I've had a couple of episodes on data literacy as of late. And what we could agree on there is uh, it doesn't really sell it that well. It sounds a bit boring and it's actually way more interesting. And Yeah, and it sounds a bit derogatory. Yeah, that was my point. So if you're saying to someone, you need to learn how to be data literate, are you saying that I'm an illiterate? Hang on, you know, I know my, I know how to interpret that. Yeah, yeah. it's, it's, it's a bit derogatory of a term, but I, I think, you know, enablement, analytics enablement, that's another term I've seen, I don't know, collaboration. No one hates that word, but that the concept's clear. These teams need to work together within a company to drive outcomes fast, conflicting incentives that aren't managed by some sort of a platform, like a platform that actually understands both sides or process are, are simply set up to fail. So in essence, at the end of the day, things will only succeed if people work together and do the work and think about how you can come up with a solution, a set of tools that simplify that and don't overcomplicate it. And the high touch is part of that, of course. Hi, dear listener, just a quick message from me. Are you ready to take your data career to the next level? Then I've got just the thing for you, the Leaders of Analytics newsletter. Every week, I send you actionable tips to master the art and science of analytics leadership and to help you grow your career as a data professional. Every issue comes packed with information designed to help you grow your leadership and influencing skills in the world of analytics. No big theories, just practical real-world strategies that you can start implementing right away. So head over to leadersofanalytics.com newsletter to subscribe and start making a bigger impact tomorrow. Subscribe now and your future self will thank you for it. Now, just one of the last questions I have here, and I'm sure lots of more technical parts of the audience have been thinking about this the whole way. There is this data warehouse that exists already that we've kind of left alone in this conversation. We kind of just assume that it's there. But what are the things that are required from that data warehouse in terms of connectivity, update frequency, governance, et cetera, that, that kind of need to be in place for all this reverse ETL stuff to work the way you describe it? Yeah, totally a great question. And you're right. We kind of glossed over it and just talked about the, the business value and you know all you can get from the stuff in, in the show. But yeah, it's it's a great question. The first thing I'll say is again, it depends on the use case. I see so many organizations that are thinking, oh, I can't reverse ETL and activate my data until I redo my data ingestion into my data warehouse. The process of just putting data into my data warehouse, it's too slow. It's too slow to be used in an operational way. And that might very well be true. I'm not going to deny that's true without understanding the use case further. But what I will say is that you should look at the use case first that you're trying to solve as a business and then decide. You know, If you're trying to target high-value customers and send them a monthly roundup email, you probably don't need real-time ETL to do that. If you start using the data that's being loaded you know, once a day or once every few hours, that will be super sufficient for driving business ROI 
if your high value, your high value users monthly roundup email has any, you know, any merits as a marketing campaign in the first place. So for a use case like that, I would say, why don't you activate the data using something like high, high touch? Let's set up a reverse ETL or let's set up an audience. Let's sync it to different channels. Let's test it. Let's play with the messaging and let's see what kind of benefits we get. And if we're getting those benefits and we have other ideas that we can use this audience in a more real time way, then let's figure out how you can get data into your data warehouse faster. Whether it's using an off-the-shelf solution like Fivetran or working with your data engineering team to improve their ETL processes to make that faster and enable faster use cases. The reality is, even with something like a CDP solution, you have to be ETLing your data into that you know CDP solution instead of the data warehouse in real time to support those use cases in real time. So what I would say is that like commonly see people thinking, oh, to do this, to do this concept of like using my data warehouse in the next gen way, I just need all these prerequisites. And it's not really true. It's frankly not really true. And I, I wouldn't tell people it's true when it's when it's not true because you know then they're not going to be successful on our platform and, and and not renew our contracts and it'll be a totally failure to our reputation. So as a founder, I wouldn't do that either. But but you're correct, and everyone is correct in pointing that there are some use cases where you need to up-level some of your data collection, your data modeling, and those are really the critical steps, you know, data collection into the warehouse and data modeling and transformation in order to activate your data and deliver on those use cases. That being said, I would just say that the benefit of using the data warehouse as your source of truth across the business is that there's so many great tools for data collection and data modeling and these data challenges now that surround the data warehouse ecosystem. It's kind of, you know, we didn't touch on this this much in the show, but it's kind of becoming the standard for how data is managed across all enterprises and all companies, even of smaller and smaller sizes due to this thriving ecosystem from tools like Fivetran, where you can just say, or, or Funnel.io or Supermetrics, where you can just say, hey, click a few buttons and get data from Salesforce and Google Ads and all these tools into your warehouse without any coding. Tools like DBT that say, okay, you can give me a SQL query and I'll you know run this on your data warehouse and save it back. And now you have some golden models in your data warehouse that you can operate on. To even tools like our new customer 360 toolkit that we released yesterday, which again, we call it a toolkit because it's simply a tool you can use like a hammer, right? To go in and, and merge different tables in your warehouse together and create a stitch together profile of a customer when you notice that there's data that's not stitched together. So I think there's so many great tools that are built in a warehouse native way where if you run into one of these challenges where your use case, your activation use case or your analytics use case needs a fundamental data product or data asset or data infrastructure change. So many tools these days to make that easier where you don't have to start from scratch and try to like not use the data warehouse or do something that frankly, the long-term or even the short-term becomes more difficult in my opinion. So yeah, I would say data collection, data transformation are the two key parts that are somewhat prerequisites before you can start activating your data. Frankly, they're also the prerequisites before you can start analyzing your data in something like a BI tool. So if you're able to, you know, view the data you need in Tableau or Power BI or a system like that today, then you're able to activate it. That being said, data is a, is a massive domain and there's all sorts of other concerns that you might have as you're scaling up your data stack from governance to, you know, observability to debugging to all sorts of things. And, you know, we provide a number of tools for that for people who are activating their data, but there's all sorts of different ways to do that. And, you know, that's why big companies do have huge data engineering teams. So, Yeah. And look, at the end of the day, this space, there are so many tools and that's because everyone's trying to mature the space very rapidly that there, there are 
some very clunky ways we've done things to date because it's a very nascent sort of space, right? The whole data analytics and also marketing platform space is not that old, really. Right? You go back 10, 15 years ago, cloud wasn't really... It wasn't a thing. It wasn't adopted. A, a big thing, right? Yeah. So we are maturing so rapidly that, and this is a hard thing we have to confront with ourselves, but we actually have to almost throw out the way we think about these things every few years and go, okay, what's actually best practice now? And best practice is, is to have a one source of truth, one place in the organization that everyone can rely on so that we don't have siloed data and all this stuff. But you actually now have the technology to enable that much easier than you would have had in the past, right? Products like your own and, and all the ones you've mentioned there on the list. So uh, therein lies the challenge. Exactly. Now, Tejas, we're at the end. I have two questions left for you that are pretty quick. And the first one is a question and an ask. So I'm going to ask you to, to pay it forward and tell us who you'd like to see as the next guest on Leaders of Analytics and why. Ooh, so many cool people I could refer to the show. And I will be referring to the show now that we chatted about Jonas. Obviously, I have to ask them first. But top guest right now would be one of our, our customers or for former customers, Moen, Moen at Warner Music Group. He's their, he's their chief data officer, and he's just a phenomenal, phenomenal, both business and technical thinker. I talked a lot about in this show about the importance of collaborating between the business and technology side. Then there are some people who collaborate just inside their brain. <laughs> they, they understand the technology side and the business side. They're just that good. And that allows you to operate at a totally different level, frankly, than other leaders in a technical domain or in a business domain, respectively. And allows you to bridge gaps in organizations that are just so hard to cross otherwise. So that's who I would honestly recommend as someone who would be a great guest for the show. I think you could talk about lots of fascinating concepts around governance and privacy and data modeling at an enterprise scale and yeah, implementing self-service data practices. And then from the flip side, you could talk about lots of awesome applications of that at Warner Music, which is one of our early enterprise customers that we've spoken out, spoken with at a ton of different conferences and have case studies with online or even his past work that he did for you know iHeartMedia and NBC Universal and just tons of great media and entertainment companies amongst amongst other industries. So if I could pick one person, that's who I would choose to have on our show. Uh, also because I want to listen to to show show recent his show as well and, and hear what, what the latest greatest ideas he's thinking about are. So let me reach out and see if we can make that happen. Brilliant recommendation and Sounds perfect for this show. So uh, thank you for that. And we'll see if we can tee that up. Lastly, Tejas, where can people find out more about you and get a hold of anything that you put out in the world? Yeah, so I'm quite easy to find, frankly. My first name combined with last name, it's not too many of me, lucky in that way. But if you want to reach out to me directly, just reach out to Tejas, so T-E-J-A-S, at hightouch.com. Like high, like high five and touch, like just, you know, the word touch. We came up with that name because it's like, you know, high touch customer experiences with your data. You can also go to our website. So hightouch.com and then on social media, Twitter, LinkedIn, I'm, I'm quite active on both of them, both in terms of commenting and reacting to stuff as well as, as well as sharing. And my username is just my full name. So maybe we can publish it in the description. 
There will definitely be links to all that in the show notes. And listeners, I do encourage you to go and check out Hard Touch's product and also Tatus's social feeds because he has uh, lots of interesting stuff coming out there, I've noticed. Tejas Manohar, thank you so much for being on Leaders of Analytics today. I've learned a lot from this conversation and you have inspired me to think a little bit differently about how I work with teams in my organizations to enable them in a different way and help them activate data. So thank you for that and all the best for you and high touch in the future. Jonas, Jonas, thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Hi, dear listener. Just a quick note from me before you go. If you enjoyed the show, then please don't forget to subscribe to future episodes via your favorite podcast app. I have loads more great stuff coming your way. Also, I'd love some feedback from you on the show. So please, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening and catch you soon. <laughs>